So the final countdown is on. Uh, we have nine days before Christmas. Right, gentlemen, start your engines. Right. How many of you are in a little bit of a panic because it's only nine days till Christmas? Thank you. We have one honest person and a bunch of liars uh, in the church. Some, some of you aren't panicked because you remember that Walgreens is open until 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve, right? So you got your strategy. We all have our own strategies about how we're going to uh, approach Christmas. How many of you are done? How many of you say, I'm done shopping? How many of you are done shopping and wrapping? Uh, I, I know, you don't like these people. Uh, good for you. That's awesome. You're all, you got it all done. Some of us... Uh, some of us are going to be in traffic this week, and that's probably going to steal our Christmas, uh, being in Atlanta traffic uh, the week of Christmas, the week before Christmas. That's what we've been talking about uh, this month, is what are the things that steal our Christmas, and there's probably a long list of them. I don't know what it is about December, but there seems to be more of those things than in a regular month. So things seem to pile up in December. Maybe not every year, but uh, for some of us, you know, on any given Christmas, any given December, there just seems to be a lot of stress. I don't know why it happens in December. Somebody gets sick, right? Every December, the kids get sick, you get sick, your parents get sick. Everybody seems to get sick around December. For some reason, the car breaks down in December, the refrigerator goes out, the heat stops working. It, it just, it seems to be the month of things piling up. And, and then you have the bills. You already have Christmas shopping, so you have those bills that just keep uh, adding up. You, you've seen those displays of the national debt that's going up really fast. That's how some of us view our Christmas financial situation. It just gets larger and larger through uh, December, uh, but not just not just the Christmas bills, uh, the utility bill uh, larger in December, especially when it's been as cold as it's been. So you, so that's kind of in the back of your mind if you're the person in your house who pays uh, who pays the bills. Um, for me, w we live in a subdivision. We have homeowners dues. They're due in January. Guess when we get the bill? December. Yeah, in the middle of December we get that bill. My birthday is in January. So all of our car tags and taxes, I get, I get one envelope with all of that. And guess when I get it? I get it in December, coming to the end of the year. And so closing out, you're thinking about taxes. You hate to think about taxes, but do I have everything in order? Have I done everything I need to do to, to start the new year? Because then I'll have to start thinking about tax. All of that happens in December. De December is just one of those months where things seem to keep piling up. And maybe it's not every December for you, but I bet you know somebody. I bet you've had Decembers where it's just kind of one thing after another. We, we use the phrase sometimes, it's, one of the, it's been one of those days. Right? Oh, it's just been one of those days. Or it's just been one of those Decembers. Right? And when somebody says it's been one of those days, they never mean it in a positive way. Like, no one has ever said, I got a huge bonus check at work. It's been one of those days. Nobody ever uses it that way. Uh, I just bought a new car and I paid cash. It's been one of those days. That would be great to have one of those days. My, my kids, they got all A's. They've never been more obedient. They've never gotten along better. It's been one of those days. My stock investments 
are higher than they've ever been. It's been one of those days. Nobody says it's been one of those days. It means a good thing. It's always, it's been one of those days. Things are not going well. I'm having a difficult time, and, and I don't know how your Christmas has been. It's been one of those days for me this Christmas. Uh, I know some people that for them, it's been one of those days in December. And sometimes that happens. And, and I think sometimes we feel that way because of the contrast of what we think we're supposed to be feeling in December and maybe what reality is. I think often any little or big struggle or loss or tragedy, it gets magnified in December. Because I look at December and I sort of expect this is supposed to be a season of joy and peace and happiness and decorations and lights and Santa and presents and wrapping. This is supposed to be a great time of year and yet I'm dealing with this. And it gets, it gets somehow magnified against the backdrop of Christmas and December, we, we, we had another just senseless tragedy in the Atlanta area this week. The, the loss of uh, another law enforcement officer lost his life in the line of duty this week. Officer Flores, pray for his family, pray for those who love him, pray for law enforcement community. We have some law enforcement community in our church. Pray for them, pray for their safety. Um, there's something about that tragedy that would be hard any time of year, right? That would be a terrible thing any time of year, but there's something about it happening in December. He was supposed to turn 25 this weekend. Something about it happening in December that just makes it feel all the heavier. Sometimes we say, man, I hate that it happened right here at the holidays. And that's what we mean. We mean... Everything's kind of magnified against the backdrop of the holidays. I don't know if you saw the video of the police dog. He, he came out of the vet. He had been shot. And if you got Facebook, go, go look for the video. You'll cry like you'll just cry like a baby. Just, police officers are lined up as the dog comes out. But when that is set against the backdrop of Christmas, there's just a, a new level of weight to it. A new level of heaviness to it. There are things in our lives that probably we would manage better, we could handle better in June that is just difficult to handle when it happens in December. Perhaps this is one of the reasons that there is an increase among people who struggle with discouragement or even depression during the Christmas season is because set against the Christmas holidays, everything seems harder. It seems like one of those days sometimes in, in December, <clears throat> which is why, as I was reading back through the Christmas story this year, it struck me that Luke's begin the, Luke begins the story of the birth of Jesus with the words, in those days, in those days. And on one hand, Luke is connecting the story he was telling in chapter 1. He didn't have chapters and verses. He was telling a story. He was, he was connecting 
what he was about to say about the birth of Jesus, what, what he'd been describing about what happened before the birth of Jesus. So he's saying it was in those days, it was in that same time period, he, he was setting the story of Jesus' birth in a specific time and geography. It was in a specific season. But when you think about our phrase, it's been one of those days, it fits the Christmas story so well. Because almost nothing went right in the Christmas story. Now, almost nothing was as it should have been. Almost nothing was perfect. It was one of those days when Mary gave birth to Jesus, and how almost ironic it is that the English translation that I have of the story begins, in those days. This is how it starts. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Let's be honest. It's always one of those days when the government gets involved in our lives, right? And, and that, that was true 2,000 years ago. The government decides, we're going to make things difficult on you. We're going to send you back to your hometown. Now, it wasn't necessarily your hometown. It wasn't where you lived. It may not have even been where you grew up. You had to go back to the hometown of your ancestors, like where your family started, where they first settled. You have to go back there because we want you to register for the census. And so life was turned upside down for anyone affected by this. Right? Think about it. If, if you had to travel, that meant you had to take care of your, your job. If you were a shepherd, you had to get somebody to watch the sheep. If you were a farmer, you had to get somebody to watch the fields. If you were a shop owner, you either got somebody to run your shop or you had to shut your shop down and lose the money so that you could go back and obey what the government was asking you to do. It was, it was one of those days. And if that wasn't bad enough, it was definitely one of those days if you had to travel back to the home of your husband's family, and you were nine months pregnant. That's not a good day. I've never been nine months pregnant, but I know somebody who has three times. And none of those times was she very comfortable at nine months pregnant. She lost her sense of humor every time she was nine months pregnant. She struggled to get from the couch to the bed at night, let alone travel 90 miles over rough terrain by donkey or wagon or foot or camel or however Mary traveled. We don't really know how she got from point A to point B. We know at nine months pregnant, Mary had to travel 90 miles. It was one of those days for Mary and Probably anybody who had to be around Mary. <laughs> so Joseph, verse 4, also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And that's where his family was from. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available 
for them. It, it was one of those days when you're nine months pregnant and you have to travel to your husband's hometown and you don't make it back before it's time to deliver the baby. And not only that, you don't know anybody in Bethlehem. How would they have ended up in the circumstances they were in if they knew somebody, if they had some connection? Apparently, they didn't, they didn't know anybody. The time for the baby to be born came, and there was no hospital, and there was no emergency room. There was not even a minute clinic. Her husband had not been trained in first aid, let alone how to deliver a child. And here we were in a stable, and the baby is coming. The stable is a whole other side of the story. I'm sure they tried to clean it up as best they could, but it's not exactly the sterile environment the moms want to have for their firstborn child. It was one of those it was one of those days. Then, after you delivered the baby, according to Luke 2, if you keep reading the story, strangers bust in to meet the baby and you. It's not like it is today where you had to have like a special code to get on the birthing floor and everybody's got bracelets and your number has to match her number and we only allow two visitors in the room at a time. There's none of that. Dirty, smelly, shepherd strangers show up to see your baby and bust right in. It was one of those days. It was one of those days where hardly anything went right. Not to mention, for months now, you had been trying to explain why, why Mary was pregnant before she was married, and it wasn't Joseph's, but Joseph is still going to marry her, and not everybody's buying the God did it story. You'd had months and months of those kind of days trying to make people understand. Matthew tells us that the king at the time, the, the person over that area was a guy by the name of Herod who was a, uh, a paranoid, crazy leader, always fearful that someone was going to take the throne from him. He had murdered several of his family members because he got suspicious that they were trying to take the throne from him. So you're in a region where this sort of person is, is the king. He's eventually going to order that all the newborn babies be killed because he's afraid Jesus is going to take his throne. This guy is on the throne. It was one of those days. And yet, it's all of those, one of those days aspects of the story that make me believe that it's true. Who would write this story like this? Who would write the story of God becoming human, stepping into time and space, and would put all of these details into the story. I mean, if, if you and I, if it was our job to write the story of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the King, God Himself becoming flesh, stepping into His creation, we would have never written this story. We would have written the story where He was born in a palace, or at least a nice house. We would have left nothing to chance. Mary would have been comfortable. They would have anticipated his birth. Attendants would have been there to make sure everything went perfectly. 
We, we would have had people hovering around. You know, you know how family members hover over a newborn, right? New parents, grandparents hover over a new newborn, making sure he's breathing, right? He hasn't taken a breath in a few seconds. Is he still breathing? You know, that whole, we'd have people hovering over this new king, making sure nothing went wrong, making sure he had plenty of lotion, got his diaper changed, had a special blanket with a monogram on it. Like this would have been the perfect birth. Everything would have been thought of and taken care of. But that's not the story. And it's not the story because this isn't a made-up story. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a, it's not a perfect story because Jesus came in those days. And, and I'm glad. Because I'll be honest, I can't relate to palaces and perfect I can't relate to fairy tales and sterile environments where everything's just the way it's supposed to be. My life doesn't work like that. But what I can relate to, those days. I know what it's like to live in those days. And I'm glad that the Messiah came, not in a perfect day. The Messiah came in those days. The angel, when he appeared to the shepherds, said today, which was one of those days, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, the greatest announcement ever made. Today, a Savior has been born, and the angel said, to you. Not just in general, not just out there somewhere, not just as a matter of general history, a Savior has been born, no, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has come for you, individually, whatever your story is, whatever your days are like, whatever those days you're living through right now, a Savior has come for that day, today, this day, those days. A Savior has been born to you. See, I think Jesus came in those days so He could enter into our days Jesus came in those days when nothing went right, when everything was chaotic and a mess and crazy and unpredictable and nobody knew what was about to happen. He came in the middle of that so he could step into your days that are like that. He could step into my days that are like that. So he could step into our life today. Messiah who came not not just to be born, but to live and to die and to rise again, proving that He was God's Son, that He is the King eternal, and yet the King who walks through those days with us. It can be difficult when we're in those days to remember that. When the mountain is not only big, but it seems bigger because it's December. When the chaos is not only real, but it, it, it seems worse because it's December. When the disappointments are not only large, but they seem larger. Jesus came to be the Savior of that day too. In your life and in my life. It's one of my favorite parts of the story. It's found here in Luke 2. I probably mention it every year. I apologize if I do, but... There's a moment where 
all of the, all of the action stops. And there's been a lot of action. If you read Luke 2, it's one thing after another, and it's traveling, and it's a, a, a stable, and it's a birth, and it's an angel, and it's shepherds, and they're coming to see the Messiah. There's all of this very quick action. And then there's this one verse, and there's no action, and there's not a new character introduced. And there's not a new place that you're told about what's happening. It's, it's like the story stops for a minute. And we peer into the heart and mind of Mary. Luke 2.19. All of this craziness is going on. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I mean, think about what's happened. They've, they've traveled 90 miles. They, they, they've been told there's no room. They've tried to settle in in a stable. She's giving birth to her first child. All of the fear, all of the anxiety, not knowing what to expect, all of that has been a part of this night. Shepherds have come. And then, as the chaos is dying down, as the craziness is slowing, we're just told Mary, Mary treasured up all of this in her heart. She pondered everything that was going on. She, she reflected. She knew the world's never going to be the same. Now, it, it, it doesn't say that Mary figured everything out. It doesn't say she figured out all of the chaos had been a part of her life the, the last nine months. It just says she held on to this moment. She treasured this moment. Have you ever wondered where Luke got that information? I think pretty much all of the other information in Luke 2, uh, he, he could have acquired from various sources. There's probably a lot of people that knew about the census because everybody was affected by it. Probably people had heard the story of the shepherds. The story of not finding a room and being in a stable. There's probably a lot of people who knew that side of the story. If you, if you remember the beginning of Luke's gospel, like in the first couple of verses, Luke says... I've thoroughly invested everything, investigated everything from the beginning. I've thoroughly investigated the story of Jesus from the beginning. And, and, and some of you know, Luke was a doctor. He was, was detail-oriented. He wanted to know exactly what happened, which makes me wonder, did Luke talk to Mary at some point? Did Luke say, okay, I, I've I kind of got the scene I've talked to some other people. I, I, I know the details. Mary, what can you tell me about that night and after angels and shepherds and traveling and mangers? I, I wonder if Mary said that there was this moment. We were exhausted and uncomfortable and it was hard to know what might happen next. But there was this moment. I just stopped and took it all in. I treasured up the fact that God had sent salvation to earth. The reality is, the story would read the same whether we had that verse or not. Uh, let me show you. 
This is, if we take out that verse, this is how the, the story would read in Luke 2. When they, the shepherds, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Like the events, the steps of the story are unchanged, even if we didn't have that one little verse. Shepherds came. They were thrilled. They left. They told everybody about Jesus. Great story. But for whatever reason, right in the middle of that, we're told, Mary treasured this moment up. She, she soaked in what God was doing. Look, your, your Christmas is going to be your Christmas. You're going to shop and you're going to wrap and you're going to go see family or they're going to come see you. You're going to be with friends. You're going to cook. You're going to eat. You're going to clean the house. There's going to be a story written about your Christmas and it's going to have all the various activities and it's probably not going to change much if this verse isn't in your Christmas. But you might change if this verse is in your Christmas. You might be different. If you take a moment to treasure what God has done for us, to ponder, yes, that loved ones are close, yes, that People you care about are with you this Christmas, but more than that, to ponder that the God of the universe came for you at Christmas. The Savior of the world came for you and for me at Christmas. Don't, don't take that line out of your Christmas. Don't rush through all the things that you have to do. And I know there's a lot to do. There's parties and band concerts and shopping and rapping and places you have to. There's a lot that has to be done. Don't remove that moment of recognizing what God has done for us at Christmas. For today, a Savior has been born to you in the good times and even in especially in one of those days. Let's pray. God, I thank you that the angel could say today, today, the Savior has been born for you in Bethlehem. And thank you that the birth of that Savior counts for my today. And whatever I'm going through, whatever we're going through, whatever any person here this morning is going through, the good news is today there's a Savior for this day, even if it's one of those days. That you loved us enough to become one of us, God in the flesh, born in a manger, lived a perfect life, laid it down and rose again for our sins, that we would be forgiven and set free. We would have heaven as our eternal home and that we could treasure up every day, every good gift that you've given to us. So God, help us not just to move through the different events of Christmas, 
Help us not just to check off. I got to go here and I got to buy this and I got to see these people. But to allow our hearts to treasure who Jesus is. The Savior. The Messiah. For this day, for those days, for every day. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.